life used to be incredibly simple. I don't know if you ever really consider that, uh, but it was one of those things uh, as I grew up that people would say to me, uh, enjoy the moment. These are the best days of your life. I heard that time and time again. So I just want to paint a picture for you. I don't know if you remember this far back, um, but that stage where you would be contently asleep in bed without a worry in the world until someone else came and woke you up. That was how life rolled. It was time to get up for school, so someone would come in, uh, they would tell you, and then you would find clothes which were miraculously clean, available to you to put on. You'd go downstairs and you would find breakfast available to you, which somehow miraculously appeared in your house, having not been to a shop for it, and you would eat. Then, unless you lived close enough, you would probably be taken to school. Someone else would supervise you, would take you, would make sure you got there. And then at school, you would sit, depending how naughty you were, further back or closer to the front, and you would be taught. You would listen, someone else would engage you, would give you wisdom, would pass on knowledge, uh, would teach you crazy things about places in the world. They may tell you how you can make numbers, make numbers, and numbers then make words, and words make letters, and then somehow you work out what X is, and these people tell you these things. Then that bell goes, head out to playtime. If you're anything like me, you opened your lunchbox and you worked your way through your entire lunch, not just what was there for break time, but someone else had made your lunch for you. Got to spend time with your friends. Back to class, you'd be taught more. Lunchtime would roll around and you would fly around in a playground which was gravel that if you fell on would tear your knees apart, but you didn't care because all you wanted to do was have fun. All you had to worry about was the moment that you were in amongst. Your school day would end, you would go home, you'd have dinner, do some homework, and eventually you would find yourself wrapped up in bed, safe and sound in the knowledge that tomorrow would be more of the same. Six weeks summer holidays, two weeks off at Christmas, I genuinely can understand why, as I grew up, my parents and other people around me would say, enjoy these times. It's not like this forever. Make the most of it. I wonder why. I wonder why we look at that childlike ability and we say, enjoy it while you can. It doesn't last forever. We seem to have got caught playing a game that tells us that actually that is not the pinnacle of achievement. The pinnacle of achievement is somewhere over here, up here. So I'm going to invite David to come and read for us this morning just to see a little bit of what Jesus has to say on the subject of childlike. Thanks, David. The first reading is from Luke, chapter 9, verses 46 to 50. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. 
for whoever is not against you is for you. And the same recollection of events in Matthew, chapter, uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Would you just join me in praying? Father God, I just pray you'd be with us now. God, I just pray as we hear what is quite possibly one of the most simple messages in the entire Bible, yet is also probably one of the most challenging messages we can read in the entire Bible. Would you be with us? God, I just pray your presence would be here, that we would hear your heart, we would hear the words that Jesus spoke, and we would see how they apply to us and challenge us today. Father God, we thank you and we love you. Amen. I don't know if you, uh, when you hear that story, I'm sure many of us have heard it before, have acknowledged how it started. Where did this whole thing begin? What was it that stirred Jesus to start talking about this childlike faith? It begins with an argument. It begins with an argument between 12 grown men who have followed Jesus around for a time, have seen some pretty amazing things, but yet they get caught asking the question of one another and eventually coming before Jesus with it, who is the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Depending which gospel you read it in, depends how they word it. But the argument is, who is the greatest? Now, I don't know if you were like me, um, but the uh, last time I had a dialogue that had the line, who is the greatest in it, was followed by a handstand competition because there was some crazy song that they would sing and the girls would do it really well and then all the boys would try and join in and apparently we just have no capacity to do gym at that level in a playground. But as adults, we don't do this, right? As adults, we don't argue who's the greatest. That would be petty. But yeah, I think if we look at our lives, we live our lives having this very argument every day. Maybe not in word, but in action. In action, for some of us, it might be the way that we post on social media. We need people to know that we've got it all together. Any of you who have ever seen a photo that I've taken will probably have never seen the original photo that I took because my house never looks as immaculate as it looks in this size. Because if you saw this size, you'd see all the washing or the toys that Evie's left on the floor pushed to the side. Because I want you to think that I've got everything together. It might be that conversation you have at work about what you did at the weekend. You want people to know that you're doing all right. You want to have a way of comparing. What did you get up to at the weekend? Oh, you went to that restaurant. We went to this restaurant. It may be that you see someone with their new car. You start to ask them about it. You find yourself in a situation of waiting to tell them what you drive just to find out if it's a higher car or it's that actual car. It may be that you push for that promotion. 
It may be that you're super concerned about your appearance. How do I look? How does how I look fit into how everyone else looks? Where does it leave me socially? Where does it leave me in the scale of who has it the most together? As the disciples put it, who is the greatest? You see, I think we fall victim to this very argument every single day. We worry about who we're seen with. How will the people that I mix with affect the way other people view me? I need to be seen to be in the right crowd. Who is the greatest? As we grow up, we don't just grow older, we seem to grow in worry. We seem to grow in concern about how we fit into this social structure. As we grow up, we no longer play games in the playground because they're fun. We play because we want to win. Ask Lucy just how competitive I am when I play board games. I have lost the joy of board games, replaced it merely with an identity of how do I get from A to B as the winner. My parents refused to play Monopoly with me because I would always be banker and I would always end up with more money than I should have. Why? Because somehow I wanted to win. It was no longer about playing. The world had taught me it was about winning. Often... I'm not just there yet, but often we look at midlife crises and they tend to be exaggerated expressions of wanting someone or something to see how we are doing, a rebellion at the fact that we are getting old and instead we are saying, I'm still in control, I can still do something elaborate, be it a car or a holiday. Please hear me, I'm not condemning them, but I think they play a huge part in the way the world has taught us how to express ourselves. Somehow, as people made by God, crafted in his image, with a purpose placed by him on our lives, we get caught in this model, in this way of viewing things. And I think it's taking away living life to the fullest. I think it's withdrawing something of how God made us to be when we play this game. So we see Jesus with the disciples, and the way that he challenges the question of who is the greatest is to bring a child into their midst, to bring a child in amongst the conversation. Not just a child as we would necessarily see a child, but a child in their time, in their context, lowly, irrelevant. They probably had the epitome of seen but not heard as a policy. The image is striking and the action profound. And I believe the message that he said to the disciples challenges us hugely today if we hear it. Challenges us hugely. So I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to become like children? An incredibly simple question, an incredibly offensive question in today's society. Are you willing to do what Jesus calls us to do and be childlike? Just as a a quick kind of footnote, I'm not saying be childish. If I see any of you having a temper tantrum that you do not get a chocolate biscuit with your cup of tea, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying sulk, throw your toys out the pram. What Jesus is saying is take something of what being a child is, the purity and innocence of being a child, and you need to find that again in your adult lives because you 12 have just had an argument about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
His answer to that argument is a child. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This isn't an easy message to take on board. We've spent our lives trying to move as far from childish as possible. As far from childish as possible. I've been speaking with people this week as their kids turn into teenagers. And the last thing the teenager wants to be is a child. They want to be an adult. They want independence. They want to push the boundaries, push the rules. They want to know that they are their own identity. They got it all together. They can catch the train or the bus. They can be home when they want. There is something built within society that tells us, grow up. Grow up and get it all together. So I believe this message is the epitome of when Jesus talks about being counterculture, an upside-down kingdom. We always hear it as the first will be last. We look at somehow we've made it into a, a queue because we're British and we queue a lot. We've made it into a queue, but I think here we see Jesus saying, this is how to be counterculture. Stop doing what the world tells you is expected of you. Be childlike. We spend our entire lives... The image that I've worked with all week as I've wrestled with this message is we start kind of small and we are fully dependent, completely dependent on doctors and nurses and midwives and parents and all sorts of other things. And as we grow up, we begin to get less and less dependent on other people. Do it myself. Go to the shop if I want, buy chocolate. Don't need anyone to tell me I can't eat chocolate for breakfast. We just begin to build life like this. And at this stage, in the middle, when we've got it together and we can pay our own bills and we can drive what we want and we can eat what we want and we can mix with the people we choose, when we are completely independent, the world tells us we've made it. The problem we have here is Jesus says, cool, great that you've got there, but I really need you to start to unlearn this whole curve and somehow in this curve go back down to here and be fully grown but completely dependent. To be fully grown, to be an adult, but be to be completely dependent again. Because the world has taught us dependency is weakness. And we see here it is key. So I want to look at three really simple, really brief statements that children do. It's why we had them doing what they did this morning. I do apologize to anyone that will now have a crow in their house and anyone that needs to go and find a dog. Uh, I've got Evie's here. She's drawn a dog on hers as well, which terrifies me because we have a dog. So I'm not getting a second dog. But I wanted to look at this idea of the, the fact that children do things with a wonderful innocence. This first one, childlike faith asks honest questions. Childlike faith asks honest questions. This works two ways. Children ask questions out of genuine curiosity. Now, don't get me wrong. Why is like the bane of my life, that why question. But the question isn't asked to wind me up. The question is genuine curiosity. I have a question. I don't know the answer, and I want to know the answer. So I'm going to ask you, what is the answer? As an adult, I'm rubbish at this. I've concluded that. Because most of the questions I ask, I don't know or don't really want to know the actual answer. I probably know the answer to some of the questions I ask. I just want to let someone else incriminate themselves. I do this with Evie all the time. I want them to incriminate themselves by answering the question that I've asked because I know the answer. Who broke it? I know who broke it. I want you to tell me because then I can tell you off without feeling guilty that I might have got it wrong. But we do that as adults. We ask these questions. Too often in church, we ask the question, how are you? 
But we want the answer to be fine. We want the answer to be fine because I want to challenge us. How often when we ask that question, do we consider what we're going to do if the answer isn't fine? What does it look like if we ask a question and we get to the point? If I ask, or Evie asks me something and I fob her off, she asks me again. She knows when I'm making the answer up or I can't be bothered. What would it look like in church, in our lives, if we said to someone, how are you? Fine. Lie. How are you? Tell me. What does life look like if we do that? Because we get quite worried on Sundays about the fact that we're dressed quite well and what would it look like if we were doing welcoming at the door and we said, how are you? Someone went, fine. We went, well, that's a lie. How are you? And they burst into tears because crying is awkward. So we avoid honesty. We've lost that childlike innocence. We've lost that willingness to ask a question with a genuine heart to know the answer, irrelevant of the consequences. When we ask honest questions, when honest questions are asked, are we going to respond in an adult way or a childlike way? Are we going to respond with an answer that socially is acceptable or are we going to answer like a child with honesty? It will change the community that you live in if you start being honest with people, if you ask them genuine questions. There is something beautiful about the honesty and simplicity. Children have zero respect for social expectations. I love that. Zero respect for social expectations. They'll ask again and they'll ask honestly. We need as a church to learn to ask those questions. Why? Because we want to know the answer, not because we want to look like we already knew the answer. We don't want to ask them because they're loaded, because we want to try and manipulate the situation. We want to ask honest questions because we want to be honest with each other. And we need to ask them again and again and again because we need to break the learning curve of fine, of dependency. I want to be preaching. I want to be stood in church with snot all over me from where I've asked someone honestly, how are you? And they've broken down. Why? Because that's what life looks like. Why has life become so perfect in here when out there we admit freely it's difficult and it's scary and it's rubbish at times? So let's bring the reality of life in amongst how we do church. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. I'm not making any of this up. I'm simply looking at what Jesus said and I'm looking at the example of all of the children I see and I'm like, that's what they do. Any one of you that asks Evie the question anywhere in society, in, a, in here, in my home, in a supermarket, she will answer with the actual answer. Why don't we? Why do we feel like the need to protect ourselves, to protect the environment we're in? You know what, let's just have prayer meetings in Tesco's. You'll freak them out, but why? Because actually, if I need to pray for someone when I'm in Tesco's, let's just pray for them. Let's break the social expectation. Let's learn to be childlike. Which leads us nicely into the second one. Childlike faith asks without fear. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands because it's completely counterproductive of the point I'm trying to make, but I wonder how many of you, and I would be the first person to put my hand up, are in meetings like this or you go to, to meetings at work or you're in discussions and someone says something and you have not got the foggiest what it means. Not a clue what they're talking about, but you just go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for some of us, we Google it immediately 
and for others of us, we can't spell the word they used, so we can't even Google it. And some of us just let it be. But we seem to have developed this realization that I would look stupid if I asked you what that means. So I'd rather you didn't know I didn't know. And I'd rather not know than risk looking stupid. Somehow we've decided that the very best thing we can do is just be uh, completely dumb to what's going on for fear of looking dumb by not knowing. When I was in school, in that example I gave, when I was here, well, probably about here, like, I didn't know a lot. So I would ask my teacher questions. Sometimes I would ask my teacher questions just to derail the whole lesson. But I would ask questions. Why? Because I didn't know, and I didn't really care that no one else knew I didn't know, because no one really knew. So I wonder how often do we not ask questions because we are fearful of how the question will make us look. How often will we not engage in something because we're worried about what it will make us look like? How many of us sit here and listen to myself or Mark or someone else who speaks and we have a question and we don't get the point and yet part of us doesn't want to ask because we're like, gosh, I can't look like I don't know. I've been to church like forever. I couldn't possibly not know that. But yet Jesus says to us, unless you're like a child, unless you're willing to ask the questions without the fear of what someone might say about you. Asking a question without fear means that we have an expectation of an answer. We want to know more. We don't care what people might think of us. We don't worry what the effect of asking the deeper question might be. We ask because we want to know. Jesus calls us to unlearn what we've decided is the way that the world works and instead return to this childlike curiosity without fear of repercussion, without fear of what might happen if we look like we haven't got everything together. Can you imagine if we prayed like children? Just consider that for a minute. What would it look like if we prayed like children, forgetting clever words, forgetting the correct attitude? What if we came before Creator God, the one who knitted us together, and we took down all of the adult things we'd learned? If we took away all the adult things we'd learned and we simply asked the questions on our heart, if we simply ask the things on our heart to a God who already knows what's on our heart, but we have the privilege of expressing them, but somehow we've decided the God who knows everything about us needs us to make some clever question because we want to impress him. What does it look like if we pray with a genuine honesty, with heartfelt prayers for things that we genuinely don't understand, things that we genuinely want, with the question of why did you let that happen, God? Unashamed of the fact that it hurts. I spent some time with someone this week and we were just chatting about prayer and they shared with me that they used to pray a whole lot for things. So they would be very faithful and they would just ask God for things very generally and then they would get to a point and it was a cycle in their life that they'd get to a point where things got pretty desperate. And so they would quite simply say to God, God, I really need this. And it needs to look like this and it needs to work like this because that's the only way we can move forward, God. And within days, they had an answer to their prayer. Their life is a living testimony to the fact that childlike faith, asking without fear, is okay. It's okay not to have it all together and to come before God and say, you know what, God, this is what I really want. He knows you. He knows you already. 
And finally, as we come into close, childlike faith is vulnerable yet expectant. Vulnerable yet expectant. As I said, highly dependent, somehow completely independent, and somewhere is this Jesus model of dependency again. I'm hoping that you've clicked that here our high dependency is on humanity, is on people, doctors, parents, man-made machines. Here is a man-made model of having it all together, and somewhere here, I believe Jesus is calling us to, is pure dependency back on God, complete dependency on him. He's not saying become hyper-dependent on people again. That, that didn't work very well in the middle here. What he's saying is, I need you to go back to being childlike, in dependency on God. A dependency. We lose, as we grow up, everything that was natural for us to be childlike. We lose it. We're taught, it's taught out of us. It's not about becoming young. It's not about being childish. It's about remembering We are called not to be like this world. We are called not to be like the world. I think sometimes this whole return is too simple a term for this. I can't just become childlike again. I need to unlearn some of the bad habits that I've developed as an adult, the defense mechanisms. And I need to relearn the simplicity of a faith that is childlike. So this third point will take some learning because we've been taught to be strong and to be protected and to be guarded and to be super me. I need you to think I'm okay. I need you to think I've got it together. I need you to look at me with a a way that I want to be seen. But childlike accepts its weakness. Children accept they can't do everything. Eventually they accept they can't do everything. Childlike looks like it needs protection. Childlikeness is a willingness to accept what it sees, not just to see what it's been told to see. In child, in truth, vulnerability and expectance looks a whole lot like trust. Looks a whole lot like trust. So I want you to consider, just as I begin to conclude, do you trust God? Like, do you really trust God? I'm not talking like, we're talking now like childlike faith trust. So I'm sorry for those of you who are still here. But like, I want, I want this question. Do you trust God with everything? How often do you pray a prayer? I've talked about this before. Pray a prayer, God, I really need you to do this in my life. I really need you to step in. And the minute we hit amen, we're like, cool, I just need to sort that thing out. And I need to arrange something. And you know what, actually, God, I'm pretty good at sorting this out. So uh, I've prayed, which is good, because that's what I do as a Christian. But I've got this. This looks like saying, God, you know what? I need you. And I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Nothing I can bring to the table, God, is going to fill the void. I need you to be God in my life. Are we going to come to God and trust him with our weaknesses, with our sins, with our faults, our frustrations, our annoyances, our aggressions, our addictions, everything else that we try and hide from the world here? Are we willing to say to God, you know what? This is who I am. And I need you in every area. I need you in every area. And you know what the most amazing thing about the story that we read is? Jesus welcomes one who is like this into the midst of the wisdom of the disciples. 
This model, the middle model, the having it all together is faulty. So we can conclude that if we are like this, if we are dependent on God with our weaknesses and our faults and our frailties and our questions, he will welcome us because Jesus modeled it. Jesus modeled it. That child did nothing to earn a seat at the table with the 12 disciples, yet was welcomed in by God. Do you trust God? Do you trust him enough to ask the honest questions? And moreover, do you expect him to answer? Trust comes with an expectation. Do you ask prayers that you think he can answer? Or do you ask prayers that you need him to answer? Is your faith so fragile that you dare not ask something that you can't have a guaranteed result to for fear of what it would do to your faith? Or do you ask prayers that will only ever strengthen your dependency on God? The problem we have with this point and with all of these points, and as we look at it again this evening in a different way, that trust and expectancy everything we had here and that we've unlearned here is because we've been let down that's the truth of it the very best people in our lives let us down something about the way the world functions teaches us that we need to be independent because you can't trust anybody because they'll let you down you can't back anybody to support you because they will disappear you know that's how the world works I'm not going to make excuses for bad parents or any of those situations you find yourself in. What I will say is this. This model is faulty because it's based on everyone else. God, who says, you know what, childlike is the way to move forward, will never let you down, will never abandon you. You know, that's the most outrageous thing about this. By me having nothing to bring to the table, I am more sure that God will never let me down. His promises are all over the scriptures. He will never abandon us. He will never let us down. Actually, I need to unlearn the way I view the world because the world's taught me to trust no one, to only ever look out for myself. I serve a God, I love a God who will never let me down. I might not always understand why that happened. You know what, I need to learn to ask God why more. I'm like, why avert? Why God, why why is that what happened? Let me not sulk, let me not be childish. It's not fair. Let's get rid of that and be like, God, why? I want to understand, Why, why did you not answer that prayer? What's the bigger picture? What are you doing? Because I believe you have a plan and a purpose for my life, that you have an intention for goodness in this world, and I don't get what's happening, but instead of sulking, instead of turning my back on you, I want to know why. Let's deepen our relationship, God. I don't know the answers. I love this idea of wholly depending on God. The truth is this. For each and every one of us, we can utterly and totally depend on him. We can be broken, beaten, addicted, and all the rest before him. 
And we can come with question after question without fear of judgment by him. We all, each and every one of us, need to be reminded that it's okay that we don't know. It's okay that we can't. Because he knows and he can. Every situation, he knows and he can. Every fault that we have, he knows and he can. Whatever it is that you want to bring before me or before God this morning, he knows and he can. The problem we have is we refuse to be childlike. And we want to fix it ourselves and we want to let the world think we've got it all together. But you know what? God knows and he can in all of the things that we're hiding. I encourage you, share them. Share them. I want to come with childlike faith. I'm trying to learn it. I've wrestled with this all week. It's funny, I wrestled with it, then I tried to solve it. So the question is this, what can a child really bring? In truth, what can a child actually bring as I conclude? I know it's hot in here, but what can a child actually bring? Tim, that's great. I love what you said. It's cute. It's brilliant. We, we sent the kids out. It's your daughter's birthday. Brilliant. But actually, tomorrow when I get to work, I'm going to need to have some answers. I'm going to need to have it all together. People judge me and expect something of me. Tim, what, is, what can a child bring? I just want to turn real quick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away, you give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Other translations, other places tell us, you know where the two fish and the five loaves came from? Child. What does a child have to give? 5,000 people's meals. Something about childlike faith, allowing that pure, innocent, honest, fearless, expectant expression of faith in God will change the world. Did that child bring that food expecting to feed everybody with it? I don't know. But there was an innocence to bringing it. So what can you bring to the world? Whatever you've got. Literally whatever you've got. Because brought in childlike faith, in innocence, in whole dependency on God, it could change any situation. Any situation. We are called as a people to become less dependent on ourselves, on each other, and more dependent on him. That's what childlike faith looks like. Not childish. Please do not fight over chocolate biscuits. But childlike. You know what? Someone asks you in there, how are you? Tell them. And I'll be honest with you, church, if you don't want to know the answer, just don't ask. If you don't really care, don't ask. Let's leave it for those that want to know the real answers. Let's pray.